Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Kublup campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. I want to start today by talking about bones. And it might be a little bit contradictory with the title of the sermon, but bones are a fascinating thing. I don't know if you know, but forensic scientists, forensic investigators use bones to tell them uh, to identify who a person is, when and how they died. They tell us all sorts of things. Anthropologists use bones to uh, identify when animal species became extinct, how they died, when they lived, those kind of things. Anthropologists can use bones to determine uh, a person's height, a person's sex, a person's race, what their lifestyle was like, what their kind of culture and ancestry came from. Archaeologists can use it to reconstruct history, to actually say, well, this happened at this time. And one of the best examples of that is comes from uh, this photo up there, which is a photo of a discovery at Pompeii. And for those of you who don't know, Pompeii was a city that uh, had Mount Vesuvius as its backdrop, and Mount Vesuvius uh, erupted as a volcano one day and covered the city with uh, ash and lava and basically kept this perfectly preserved tomb, if you like, of skeletons of people who had died there. And this couple up there, uh, is, well, not a couple, but one of them they've been able to tell was a slave uh, in his 20s, about five foot tall. They could tell that he did uh, this certain type of manual labor, the clothes he wore. They could tell that the person lying next to him was his master because he was six foot tall. He wore more masterly type clothes. And they can reconstruct a little bit of what happened on the ground in Pompeii. They've learned that uh, it was a multicultural type society, the equivalent of, say, New York or London today. They discovered that the leading cause of death in children uh, at that time was actually congenital syphilis, of all things. They've been able to tell that uh, they had an excellent diet because their teeth are in really good condition. So bones are fascinating for their ability to tell us certain things, to tell stories, to portray truths of long ago. And in our story today, in our Bible passage, there's the most important message of all that we get through the bones. So we're going to read about that today in our passage of Ezekiel 37 verses 1 to 10 says, the hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, me being Ezekiel the priest, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. 
Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life. They stood up on their feet, a vast army. It's an interesting story, but it's not necessarily obvious to know at first what on earth is going on here. What are the bones trying to communicate to Ezekiel? What is God talking about here? To understand that, we flip a few verses forward into verse 14, and it says, I will put my spirit in you, and you will live. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live. That's the underlying statement of what's happening here. And it may be hard to tell from our English translations, but the word, the Hebrew word for spirit, ruach, actually appears nine times across the verses. It's just not obvious because they also translated that word wind or breath. They had the same word for spirit, wind, and breath. And we can understand why in in this passage it says things like, I will make breath enter you prophesy to the breath, the four winds come across. They're human and natural metaphors for the spirit. And we can understand why the Israelites connected these three ideas when we think about the nature of wind and breath. If we take breath to begin with, you know, you can't see, if I go like this, you can't see my breath. But each of us can see and feel the effect of our breath in our bodies. We can see our chest moving up and down if we pay attention as the breath passes in and passes out. We can understand how important breath is to us because if you've ever been winded as I have, you know that you need that breath. I was, uh, uh, when I was younger, I used to sleep in a bunk bed with my uh, brother. He was younger than me, so he got the bottom bunk. I had the top. And uh, that was okay, except that I, and still to this day, can be a rather active sleeper. Uh, my wife tells me that I'm known to clap and uh, <laughs> shout and, and speak in strange languages and do all sorts of things. My father is a notorious uh, walker and runner out of bed. My son, a few months ago, we were on holidays staying in a two-story house, and I awoke during the night to hear my son, uh, who was sleeping upstairs at that moment, he walk, had walked down the stairs and he was banging on doors looking for, my, for his brother. And it was very creepy as he had this glazed look over his face and was talking to me but was fast asleep. And uh, I had to guide him back to his bed. But getting back to my story, when I was uh, asleep one night in my top bunk, I uh, was horrified to discover one night myself falling in midair as I woke up. And I woke up just in time to feel myself narrowly miss my head on the side table, but land flat and just have the breath push out from my body. And it's, for those of you who've had that, you have that moment of panic, especially as a child, where you lose your breath and you're just there in shock. You don't know what to do. You can't do anything. You just have to wait until the breath comes back into your body. That's the spirit. It's the same idea of desperate need, but also ever-present. Same with the wind. We can't see the wind with our eyes, but we see its effect, don't we? We know and we feel its effect on our bodies. We see it. We saw its powerful, devastating effect up north in the cyclone Saroja a little while ago. 
where it flattens towns, but it can also be a gentle, refreshing thing. You know, the Fremantle doctor on a hot summer's afternoon is gentle, it's refreshing, it cools us, it stills us, it brings life. And so you can understand why the Hebrews, why the Israelites understood these concepts around the word spirit. The wind is also important for determining our climate and our weather each day. All of these things express a similar thing of the spirit. We can't see him with our eyes necessarily, but we can see and feel his effects. The spirit is a real and present force in this earth, all across it as the the four winds spread across the earth, so does the spirit of God, Ezekiel is saying. Verse 10 really points us to why exactly this spirit of God is so essential to human existence. And it's the three things up on that screen. Ezekiel says, once the breath entered, once the spirit entered the bones, three things happened. They came to life, they stood up on their feet, and they formed a vast army. So we're just going to unpack these three aspects of this new creation that Ezekiel saw and how it applies to us today. The first there is new life. The Spirit brings us new life. And we see in verses 1 and 2 that Ezekiel's experience is this. God picks him up almost like you imagine by the scruff of his uh, woolen coat and drags him off into the middle of a valley. And in this valley is full of bones. The language of the scripture is very detailed, very specific. He doesn't just plop him down on one spot. Ezekiel is led by God one step at a time, backwards and forwards throughout the valley. He wants Ezekiel to pay attention. He wants him to know his surrounds. He wants him to see and observe what's going on here. And there's two things that Ezekiel notices in particular. The first, sheer volume of bones. They're everywhere. The second is that they're dry bones. They're dry bones. That means to be dry bones that these have been long dead people. They've decomposed so badly that they're no longer even joined as skeletons. They're just individual bones scattered as far as the eye can see. They've been dead for a long time. And the message is there's no trace of life here. There's no possibility of resuscitation. They're dead. You know, many of you know because we prayed for him here uh, early last year, but my uncle had a heart attack towards the, uh, the beginning of 2020. And he was dead in some senses for minutes, but he was resuscitated back to life. And he's alive today and doing remarkably well for someone who had a serious a heart attack as he. But this is impossible for these bones in the natural. They're dry, they're long gone. And God's trying to communicate to Ezekiel to put his fist down, to put an exclamation point and say, this is a physical picture of a spiritual reality. The world is full of dry, dead bones. This is a valley, Ezekiel, but out there is death as far as the eye can see. You and I are among those bones. The world is spiritually dead. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, 
Colossians 2.13, you were dead in your sins. On the outside, we look alive. But on the inside, from an eternal perspective, from a relationship with God perspective, we're as dead as those dry bones on the ground. Far gone. But praise God, the story doesn't end there. God says to Ezekiel, almost provocatively, Son of man, can these bones live? Ezekiel, no fool, who's had many visionary experiences by this point with God, says, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. And so what he's he's really saying is, Lord, I know that you're able. I know that you're powerful enough. I know that you are God and you can do all things. But what I don't know is, are you willing? Because for these bones to be unburied like they are now in ancient culture was a curse. Someone clearly didn't care enough for these people that their bones were left exposed. They weren't, didn't go through a proper, respectful ceremony where they're there under the ground and laid to rest. These bones are cursed. Lord, I know you're willing. I know you're able, but are you willing? I know you can raise the dead to life. But will you, is Ezekiel's response. And it's a crucial question for all of us that we face either at the start of our Christian journeys or many times through our lives. Lord, I know you're powerful enough to change this situation. Lord, I know that you're sovereign. You are in control, that all heaven and earth are your domain. But what I don't know is, are you willing? Am I too far gone? Are my circumstances too far gone? Am I left to be doomed as this dry bone on the ground? Is there any hope for me? God says to Ezekiel, speak life to the bones. And this is what the heart of God is. Not just the heart of God, but the action of God. It's not just good intention. He desires life. He desires mercy over judgment. He desires hope instead of despair. Right in the place of wrong. That's the heart of God. That's the will of God upon this earth. That's his direction for humanity. And it's how he follows through. It's how he acts because he then begins to coach Ezekiel about how to bring these bones to life. And it's really an extraordinary reversal of the decomposing process. So first, the the bones come back together. They start to join. They're a skeleton if you visualize it. And as they become a skeleton, then the tendons and the flesh form around them until finally the skin is added and then the breath enters and they come alive. It's a prophetic picture of what Jesus was going to bring through the Spirit. Ephesians 2 verses 1 and 5 says, You were dead in your transgressions and sins, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead. How did he make us alive in Christ? Titus 3, 5 and 6 says, He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, 
our Savior. That word poured out is bestow. He literally took our dead human spirits and he bestowed upon us the Spirit of Christ, the alive, eternal Spirit of God himself, the person of the Holy Spirit, and we're alive. When you trust your life to Jesus, this is your birthright, literally. Rebirth, regeneration. This is who you now are. No longer the dead bone on the ground. You're alive in God. C.S. Lewis said it this way, Christ's achievement in rising from the dead was the first event of its kind in the whole history of the universe. He is the first fruits, the pioneer of life. He has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought, and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. This is the beginning of the new creation. Everything in our lives is different because Jesus has done so. Because he first died and took upon himself our sin. Everything that made us dead, he bore on the cross in our place so that it could be as he was buried and resurrected and ascended could be taken with him. Now we are with him in the same vein. The problem is, I think as you come to know Jesus and you experience this maybe for the first time, as time goes on, we forget. We forget what it was like before Christ. We forget what it was like in our BC days or we take it for granted or life becomes difficult around us so that we let our physical circumstances dictate how we must feel inwardly. But the truth and the reality is that everything is different because of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. This is our good news. This is what we proclaim. It's what we sing about every week. And it should be a source of joy and life for us every day of our existence. Yes, everything else can look grim. This world can be in chaos. Our lives can be in chaos externally. But inwardly, we are alive. The very God himself has come to take residence in you and in me. Do we know that today? Is that our experience? Is that our truth? Is that our reality? If it's not, he says, come to me and I will give. He says to Ezekiel, speak the word. Come alive, dry bones. The second thing that Ezekiel sees once the life is in the bones is that they stand up to their feet. And it's this beautiful contrast between what a dead man can do and what an alive person can do. It's a contrast between uh, someone that is only good to lay on the ground and waste away. That's all a dead person can do. They have no power to change their situation, no strength to change who they are as people. And it reminded me of a story, actually, of when (laughs) I was about 14 or 15. I I went to this uh, Scripture Union fishing camp. And uh, it was memorable for two reasons. The first is it was a fishing camp that went for seven days, and there was about 30 leaders and kids, and not one of us caught a single fish. (laughs) So that was a bit depressing. (laughs) But the good part, (laughs) 
was that it was the first time in my life and since, coincidentally, where I've ever tasted what it was like to be popular. Because for some reason, in a strange place amongst a strange group of people, I identified quickly who the cool kids were and I managed to somehow change who I was as a person, how I talked, how I acted, even to the point, to my shame even today, where I was disrespectful to adults, uh, mistreated, my, uh, mistreated other people who were there. I found a way to adapt to the cool kids level and, uh, and to be honest, at the time it was bliss. But of course I had to come home and I had to go back to who I was and the changes, as, tr as hard as I tried to, you know, be that way in another circumstance, because of who I really was, I went back to normal, back to uh, obscure me, back to, uh, you know, unseen me and uh, it was, you know, the first and only taste I've ever had since. But it's the similar story with the Holy Spirit or without the Holy Spirit because, and as human beings, this world is good at trying to exercise willpower. If I, if I strongly, you know, just set my heart and my mind to a particular direction, I'm sure I'll be able to change this. Or if I'm positive, if I, you know, be positive about everything that's going on, maybe that will trick me enough to start to do better, to start to be better to see my life change and my personality be more acceptable to others. But hard as we might try, it never lasts for long. And we can never ourselves make us undead. We're the dead bones on the ground without the Holy Spirit. We need, we're human beings before we're human doings. So unless our being is alive, we cannot do alive. We cannot act alive. We cannot rejoice and sing and be patient and kind and all the things that the Spirit has the power to make us be unless we first receive Him, unless God breathes on us. But once we do receive the Holy Spirit, then this different life is infinitely possible. It's not just possible it will happen. It has to happen. That's why he's come, to set you free, to help you live a new and powerful life. Commentator David De Silva says it this way. He says, God offers you the means to become reconciled with him, and that's the Jesus shedding his blood, Jesus paying the price part, and then to become a new person who will want and love to do what is pleasing to him because the spirit of his son will live in you and change you. I love that last. It helps you to do what is pleasing to him because the spirit of his son will live in you and change you. The question is, are we changing? I mean, really, we have to reflect on these things. We have to ask ourselves, am I becoming more Christ-like now than I was before Christ? Am I going in the right direction? Doesn't mean I'm perfect. Doesn't mean I never make mistakes. Doesn't mean I go through hard times or float around in a cloud of blessing everywhere I go in a material sense. But am I different from the person I was before Jesus came in with his Holy Spirit and brought me back to life? Or am I as miserable and as broken and as 
destitute as ever. You know, and of course there's fluctuations, but is it going in the right direction? Am I becoming more like Jesus? We need to sit with that question sometimes. We need to be open to the Spirit. We can't make ourselves that way. But if you have the Holy Spirit within you, He will do this in and through you. He wants you to stand on your feet. That's why He's come. Finally, the thing that Ezekiel sees next and lastly, the Spirit recreates the bones, brings life back. The Spirit stands them up to their feet and then they form this vast army. It's a picture of new power and new purpose. It's a picture from taking us from being victims where we just have to receive the beaten downness of life and sin and the powers of darkness and evil to victors. Victims to victors. Going from powerlessness to powerful. Going from purposelessness where we're on the ground doing nothing to resurrected to join together as an army. We're in this together. We don't have to go out as rogues and try and enforce our own agendas. We're part of an army. And our weapons are not like the military. In our weapons, according to the New Testament, the Spirit, 2 Timothy 1 says, the Spirit gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, etc., 1 Corinthians talks about receiving spiritual gifts, tongues for interpretation, prophecy, healing, administration, wisdom. The Spirit gives us gifts to go out and be part of this army of power and purpose. Our mission is not to destroy people, but it is to extend the territory of God's kingdom, of power, of peace, righteousness, and joy. It is to stand firm against the enemy, against the evil one who wants to inflict damage upon not just ourselves, but the world around us. Our task in the Lord is to defend the territory, is to stand firm by the power of the Holy Spirit, not in our own strength, don't misunderstand me, but as part of the army of God. And I earnestly believe that God wants us to do this because the world out there is full of dry bones and it's God's will for them to come alive and it has to become our will for them to come alive, for our loved ones, for our families, our friends, our co-workers, our community. It's why we do things like Kubi Eats because unless we're out there, we have no capacity to relate and get close enough to people to give them something where they can come alive. Now, of course, the Lord can work without us, but he wants to work with us. The whole of human history is about God coming and joining himself to man and then going. And that's what he wants to do for us here at Kubi. He's making us an army. He is bringing us to life. He is helping us stand on our own two feet. It's amazing to think where we've come from in six years. We started out as a ragtag bunch of 30 or 40 people under Peter's leadership with Mountie's help. 
but we've grown, we've been knitted together. It's not just numbers that have increased, it's been our love for one another, our joy being with one another, our worship to God is just lifting the roof these days. He's building his army. Why? Because there's dead people out there and they need to come to life. That is God's burden and it's ours too. And so he's going to lead us forward, church. He's going to make us this army. He's going to use us to get alongside the bones and say, come alive. Come alive. Join us in the kingdom of heaven. Leave behind this kingdom of darkness, of ruin and destruction and devastation. It's not what you think it is. Come alive. Are we open to it? Are we open to the Spirit? That's what this series is all about. Are we open, Holy Spirit? It's a question for myself. It's a question for you. It's a question for us as a community who gathers here under the name of the Lord Jesus. Are we open to this? Because, you know, just the army language implies cost, implies suffering, implies hardship, but it also implies that we'll be trained, we'll be equipped, We'll do it together. But are we open to it? Are we willing to go out there and march under the Lord's banner? You know, we sung three songs or four songs in the end today which were all centered around this, ironically. It wasn't planned that way, but all about God being the God of the angel armies. But do we live in reflection of that? Is that our truth? We sing it, we believe it, but are we acting upon it? I guess is the question I'm asking. I want to close this morning with a story about a businessman who was selling this warehouse. The building had been empty for a long time. It needed extensive repairs. Uh, Obviously, the roof had collapsed in. The pipes were rusting. The cracks in the walls. Vandals had come in and trashed it. There was uh, broken windows and uh, just damage everywhere. But the owner wanted to sell it, so he brought a prospective buyer in one day and took him around and started to explain to the buyer all the things he would do to bring it up to scratch for this buyer's sake. Oh, you can pay this price because I'll do this. I'll fix the roof, I'll set everything right, I'll repair the broken windows, clean out the trash, etc., etc. But as he was going on and on, the buyer turned to him and said this, He looked him in the eyes and said, forget about the repairs. I don't want the building. I want the site. And when I buy this place, I'm going to build something completely different. And church, this is what God wants to do in your life and mine and with us as a church here. He wants to build something new, something special, something full of life and life in abundance. As Jesus said, it's the word of God that I will bring you life and life in abundance. His word is true, living, active, sharper than a double-edged sword. But he'll never do just a patch-up job. He has to move in himself. He has to build something. He has to demolish the old and build something new. And that's where we find it difficult. That's where we can get offended That's where we can lose hope because it can be rough. The demolishing of the old is not easy. It's why we struggle 
It's why we strain. But he wants to do something new, and he will. The question is, are we open to his spirit? Are we open to the recreation to become like him? Let's pray as we contemplate that in our hearts. I'm going to invite the worship team up and they're going to lead us in a song about the dry bones. Still praying. <laughs> and Lord, we, we pray that as we sing that it would be a prophetic declaration, declaration over ourselves first. Lord, we all, as we've heard in recent weeks, we all need refillings. We all need even just the reminder that we are alive, that we're not actually dead on the floor, that our circumstances do not dictate who we really are as your sons and daughters, that the challenges and trials we face are just momentary afflictions compared to the glory of the resurrection eternal life that you have bestowed upon us. And Lord, as we sing, as we pray, we just say, dry bones, come alive. Come alive in us and in us so that they can come alive in the world around us. Lord, we, in this moment, we want to pray for our loved ones pray for those who are suffering this death pray that you quicken to our hearts and minds in this moment those most burdened in your heart and Lord prophetically over them we say come alive come alive by the power of the spirit Come alive by the blood of Jesus Christ, which was slain for you. We bless you, dry bones, to come alive in Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.